All right, everybody, aloha. Welcome to the Solar Coaster live show here with Jason Verkar in Osaka. This is Josh Porter in Maui, Hawaii. Uh, welcome. So good to see everybody here, everybody. Uh, Jay, what's up, buddy? How are you today? Good morning. This is the uh, Josh got a hair. Uh, Josh, Jay got a haircut. Josh did not show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> refuse <Here we> <laughs> uh, no, this is this is this is a fantastic show. Uh, we've got Ragu Balor um, from Enphase. is the co-founder and chief product officer. Um, we've talking, we've spoken to him before. Um, really, really smart guy. Really, really passionate about what he does. And um, so, looking forward to uh, airing this so that everybody else can listen in. Yeah, I like Velour, man. He's just an amazing character. And, you know, fourth time on the show, we've had, the, we've had a, he and his partner, Martin, on in the past. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, you've made it when you get a chance to not be the CEO of the company you built. You get a chance to be like the founder <laughs> and chief, whatever you want to be guy, right? So and then he's just envisioning, you know, all this What do you want stuff. your business card to say? Yeah. Yeah, I love it, man. Uh, and it's always uh, inspirational to talk to Ragu and uh, learn about where he sees things going, you know, in the future. So brilliant fella. And uh, we got some great news and events today. And it's just fun to be back on the solar coaster rocking and rolling on a more regular basis. So thank you for that, Jay. Uh, let's jump right in to our first article. And uh, you're gonna have to remind me on which one you want to hit today, Jay. Uh, first news. So um, nice Honolulu Civil BR article talking about um, Kauai and their energy cooperative. They've been pushing the envelope. You know, we, we talked last show, we talked about Hawaii being kind of the, the leader globally where people are looking at us because we are energy isolated, right? And Kauai is kind of leading the charge within Hawaii. Uh, and that's specifically because they are a, an energy co-op. They are not a uh, investor <clears throat> based utility company. Uh, so they, they, have been taking some chances, but they're, it's really paying off. And this, are, this whole article is about how since um, the war in Ukraine is driving energy prices higher, um, Hawaii energy uh, company, um, electric companies have said that standard Hawaii residents' electric bills could go up as much as 20%. And that's number. specifically due to the fact that we import so much energy and so much oil. <clears throat> Kauai is not subject to this. Why? That, because they something... have such a significant penetration of renewables already yeah. that that energy hike is not going to affect them as much. Right. <laughs> just, right. Just yeah. You know, and when we twenty percent, twenty percent out here, man, is not a small thing. Yeah. Because you know that's, you're looking that's, at that's bills. Crazy. We're already at we're at thirty what thirty three. <laughs> uh, you know, cents per kilowatt hour. Yeah, actually, on, the rates hour. vary per sure. island you know, Oahu, yeah. Hawaii, and Maui. And um, I think that the bottom line is that your average bill is probably in the $300 territory right now for just a regular mm -hmm. home, right? Easy, easy. And so 20% on that, you know, you do the math, you're looking, you're, you're getting upwards of high threes now, right? So yeah. that's, um, you know, it's that that's a pinch and you're already paying more for gas, right? So gas yeah. is in the fives in this, you know, mid fives, high fives. I've seen as much out here recently. So you're already getting dinged on gas. If you got two cars you probably already a hundred bucks north a month, if not 200 bucks north a month on gas, if you're actually commuting you and the then you've the got front, another, yeah. you know, 50, hundred bucks in, um, in, 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 in actual utility costs, electricity costs. So that's not a small thing for families out here that are just trying to control costs and especially coming out of the pandemic, 
and looking for you. Hey, man, we just came out of a tough time. We weren't all making money. And now it's like, boom, we get nailed by this uh, thing that's not, people are not, uh, I think, very permissive of this and not very kind of patient with this at this point. That's my feeling on it. So to see KIUC, this example, uh, say, hey, it's only going to hit us by about two to maybe 8%, I think was the numbers they were throwing around. Yeah. So a lot yeah. less. And of course, we know that they're even moving further down the road with this pump storage hydro system. Now, that being said, let's be fair, right? Uh, Kauai's uh, electricity is actually typically more expensive <laughs> right, at the cooperative. Uh, presumably, that's because they've been investing in all of these projects and making it come together to hit, get, get to 100% renewables. But they're, at right. least they're not seeing the volatility that we're seeing in the other islands or across the country. So that's something pretty special. Which is which is a big deal, and that, and that's the positive, super positive takeoff takeaway for this is that because they've already made a significant investment, they are not subject to the energy volatility of the rest of there the. There you planet. go, there you go. Not a small thing, not a small thing. I see a bit of a delay here. I don't know if you're catching it, Jay. So I'm going to try to like pause and then pick up, you know, so we can stay on the um, uh, you know, keep it from jumping on top of each other's words. But we've got a delay in the back and forth, but. The bottom line is, uh, I think it's interesting too. You look at the pictures here. They got this picture of David Bissell, uh, president and CEO of KIUC, and they got him wearing sunglasses, wearing an Aloha shirt. He looks kind of gangster. Like he, he looks like he's in charge in that picture, doesn't it? I like that he's picture. Of him, man. <laughs> he looks like a, like a, like he's like you know he's like hey man we we're doing our own thing out here. This is <laughs> David wearing the sunglasses. He looks pretty cool. And then of course they they've got, they've actually got some great. Um, uh, images of what's uh, of the of the solar arrays. These are the same ones that they sent me uh, for our videos, right? The same uh, actual uh, what do you call it? Um, B-roll. So very cool. Uh, I know they they're mentioned a little bit here about um, uh, Jim Kelly, um, and he is the spokesman for Eco. Now Jim was on the show probably about a year ago. I like Jim a lot. He was able to talk about um, all of the you know them being working on the the utility systems for Oahu, Maui, Molokai, Lanai, Big Island, and um, that they're, you know, that he's impressed. In fact, he's like kind of giving a nod to David Bissell and saying, hey, man, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get there. You guys are kind of leading the way. I thought that was cool to see Jim Kelly saying that about David Bissell. So nice yeah, job to uh, KIUC. The co-op the co has uh, the ability to do stuff because like I said they're, they're not investor owned. They don't have those those kind of pulls on their, their reins. Um, but they also have a lot less um, area and users to to service. Right. So being a small being a smaller grid, they're able to roll out stuff pretty quickly. And I don't I don't <laughs> I do feel for the Hawaii Electric Company's folks every time they're trying to do something because it's it's always a long conversation. It's always a big um, set of community meetings and investor meetings and this meetings and then studies and very impact studies of every kind. Right. Um, it, it is, it is such a difficult situation to be in because you want to get stuff done, but you can't, or at least you can't move nearly as fast as you would like. So. Yeah. And they talk about the average bill increases they expect, et cetera, et cetera. They're pretty modest in these, in these uh, estimates, but um, they also mentioned um, they get a pretty good analysis of the overall energy picture here throughout the islands. You know, they talk about, um, uh, PGV, the uh, Puna Geothermal over in yep. Big Island and how that was shut down for a while, but now it's operating. So that gives you some firm. So they kind of give a nice overview. If you guys want to check that out, what was the name of that? So people can see it. It's actually a really good 
overview. March 15th, Civil beat Kauai quit using oil to produce most of its electricity years ago. That's paying off now. We recommend checking that out. Very good stuff there, Jay. Another right. big question I have is, do you ever expect the prices to come back down? Are you asking me that question yeah, for Hawaii? Personally, or it's just us? Um, it's, well, it's, it's in my experience, it's been that once the price goes up, it's yeah. not coming back. But there is a, there is a, um, okay, so we are in a time, we had Jenny Potter on, public utility commissioner, lives here in Maui, uh, in the beginning of 2021 for the Hawaii Energy Conference 2021. And she was talking about performance-based rates, performance-based regulation, PBR, uh, and how that was being instituted back in the summer of 2021, and the timeframes and how that will be uh, evaluated over what periods of time. And that has everything to do with them being, uh, them being the utility, uh, being controlled under a different kind of mechanism, right? And being and awarded uh, financially and, you know, in financial incentives under a different structure. And it has to do with how they go about transitioning from fossils to renewables and uh, the actual formula that we discussed kind of eludes me at the moment. But so when we talk about whether prices are going to, you know, come back down, I do think there, we tend Look, that volatility, we've seen that go, go up and go down over the years. That has happened. Uh, I would say we would trend downwards over the next decade or so because the abundance of renewables going in will kind of inevitably do that. I think the problem will be in the amount of trending downwards. I think it won't satisfy people. It'll be modest, right? And mm -hmm. that's my personal opinion of what will probably happen. But then if you want to really trend downwards, then you, you gotta you gotta get your own renewable energy system. And the good thing is the ROI on these things, the simple payback period with current incentives in place are pretty banging. Like, and I was just talking with a couple of guys about these and I'm not selling solar systems guys. So I'm not out here trying to, you know, those days are past, but uh, <laughs> I do think that that's the route to go, right? So you put in a solar system, you have federal tax credits, the state tax credits, according to some contacts that I just spoke with actually changed January 1st. I have to review them, um, they're, but they're probably penciled similarly as they have in the past, but they're, they're, they're worded and structured differently. And then um, now you have in places like Oahu and potentially soon places like Maui, you have battery rebates available based on the size of those batteries, not the kilowatt hours, but rather the kilowatts. And so those battery rebates are working to further subsidize solar plus battery systems being deployed in Oahu. And hopefully we'll see that happen here in Maui soon too. But the bottom line is when you do that, it squeezes that simple payback period down even further from, you know, whatever you're comfortable, you know, assumptions you're comfortable making it at. It's probably five, six, seven years or something like that at this stage of the game with solar plus battery, but getting it down maybe to the three, four year mark is where it could get really sexy and exciting. That's kind of back in the NEM net energy metering uh, simple payback types of, of, of numbers. We get down to the three-year period. That's a no-brainer, especially if you can come out of the gate and say, hey, somebody else finance it for me. You're not even using your own capital. You're buying, you're borrowing probably the low interest rate and then taking advantage of the tax credits. So uh, yeah, you can get cheap electricity. It doesn't have to be high, <laughs> but <laughs> those are the routes to do it, I believe. So uh, Jay, we get a chance. Is, is Isle of Hot next? I, I'm sorry to jump on the on that right away, but it looks it's set, set up that way in my my yeah Isle of Hot. 
Um, ILO. Oh, I said it wrong. Yeah, we want to know. We want to talk about that. Um, it's off the coast of Maine. We've um, had discussions about them before, haven't actually had the chance to go yet. Although we did go to um, Cuddyhunk Island uh, a couple times over the past few years. And those, these small little island uh, microgrid managers, the, the directors of, of their local grids kind of all know each other, you know, on the East Coast. They they're do. All facing you similar. remember they Wayne Perry? Uh, I just talking about yeah, that. Yeah. So, um, so we know a little bit about this place. Um, it made the news because they had been connected to the, um, the, main, the mainland grid with an undersea cable. But that cable has been aging out and is now massively over. It's, it's just, a, it's a ticking time bomb and they're going to be disconnected. Uh, so the, all this time, like 2015, I think they started serious discussions about having, um, uh, cutting that cable or letting it go uh, and then building their own island microgrid, which is pretty, I mean, it's pretty innovative stuff in 2015. Now it's a little more well-known, um, but it seems that they're, poly they're, they're rolling back. Um, just unsure whether they would be able to maintain the technology. They're not, they're not, they're not um, confident in uh, having the system work, which is interesting because it's kind of contrary to what we've oh, seen. I see. out it's too there. small. It's too small. It's too small. Yeah. That's it. And Cuddy, yeah. and, and, and Cuddy Hunk is not. Well, <laughs> well, let's bear. Okay. So let's, let's, let's talk about that. So first of all, Cuddy Hunk had some pretty savvy individuals get a grant for the system. Sure. Right. They got an airplane flying by. <laughs> so now they didn't have to, um, and that, I, and I, and I remember hearing that at one point in their initial discussion, but then I, I as we went into the secondary and we, you and I visited over the summer, I was talking to him and I was like, Hey, do you think it'll pencil out? And then he said, Oh yeah, I'm sure it will. And then I thought to myself, well, there's grant, of course it will, <laughs> because the bulk of it was funded. Right. Right. So they had a different dynamic. Um, and, but th that being said, it is, comparable i think in in population i think it's something like here it's 40 to like 140 and there it's uh, meaning hot island of ho is that how you pronounce that island of ho isle of ho, isle of ho. and uh and cuddy i want to say it's like almost nobody in the winter like a dozen people to like 400 right. or something i think it's <laughs> three and right? a few dogs <laughs> yeah a few dogs and uh so, so you know sizing um yeah i mean they're in the same kind of zone or whatever but you had a grant to be able to make that pencil so when you to the bottom line is there's just not a lot of us uh, people that you're providing electricity to to kind of spread those those capital costs over and uh so that's probably what this was is that was, was that your read or no um i mean it's not like there's no funding out there for this type of stuff so they could conceivably go out and find a grant or Whatever. Yeah, but that has to be pretty creative. Federal, federal, federal monies are being made available for this yeah. type of stuff. Yeah. So it's just the, the, the initiative to go and find it. Uh, it looks right. like that initiative doesn't exist. Well, maybe uh, maybe we can get Wayne to call him up and say, "Hey, guys, may want to reconsider." It's and then, probably and then, yeah. This is this is a mission for the solar coaster, right? <laughs> there you go, right? I'll tell you what, Jay. You know, we um after I visited you guys in Plymouth and before you came out from Japan on the trip, we were up in in Maine. We were up in Acadia, and then we were reading about Isle of Ho. Isle Ho. <laughs> I have a hard time with that. So we were reading about that. And we were thinking, there's a there's a trip you can take out there, right? And it was yep. I was reading like in a restaurant. I was reading about it. I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. This is a lot like Cuddy. You know, I remember thinking that. And they have um like a mailboat that they bring kids 
to come in to go to school. I think we might even met someone that lived there, you know, like working in one of the restaurants or chatting with them. So yeah, really kind of a unique uh, place, probably freezing in the wintertime, right? You know, like in, up up really far north uh, and probably, a, you know, a, a pretty um, relatively extreme uh, set of conditions. That might be part of it too uh, in the, the wintertime. But yeah, it, so I guess it's- plays a significant role in it. They were talking about the batteries not having a very good lifespan. Right. And that's specifically because of the temperature extremes they have to deal with. There you go. There you go. And then the distance, I wonder what that distance is. I don't think it's, I, I, I don't think it's as far as Cuddy is from the, the mainland. Of course, Cuddy is the end of an archipelago pretty much, right? But I think that the Isle of Home might be a bit cl- uh, closer. So I wonder if they're talking about, does it say in there they're talking about, you know, how, how to deal with the existing uh, line or replace the line? Is that uh, It's going to have to be replaced. They, yeah. There's there's really no other other option. It's It's sunk into the mud so deep that they can't, pull it back up and do repairs, which is part of the issue. I gotcha. I gotcha. Isle of Ho, love Acadia. Those are, those are beautiful places in the world. It's exciting to see that. Well, we'll have to uh, uh, keep tabs on that and see what, what they actually do to deal with uh, these, you know, um, that, you know, if they actually go ahead and make that change with, well, uh, with the cable. Well, call Wayne and point him in that direction. Yeah, very good. <laughs> All right. Let's talk a little bit about Enphase because that's our, uh, our main feature uh, today, but the, um, and I'm, I don't know how to pronounce this is I want to say Ecoma because that's a local mountain here. This looks <laughs> like um, Elon Musk's kids degree, name, whatever's something. going on with that thing. weird, weird, <laughs> weird company name, but it's, it's a European, uh, power company and they have just partnered with Enphase to roll out another virtual power plant. And we know a little bit about virtual power planting because of our conversations with Sonen Energy. Um, they run virtual power plants in Germany uh, and largely throughout throughout Europe. Virtual power planting is basically uh, where you can, you, you roll out a whole lot of in-home batteries. So you have a battery in your home. It's part of your energy storage system, you know, solar and battery. Uh, but then the utility can fill or drain the battery uh, to help offset demands. Uh, other services are like, like just synchronization of the, um, of the AC sine wave. Uh, there's a lot of benefits for having all these little distributed energy storage systems out there. And Enphase is probably going to be the next really, really big one. Uh, they have some unique features where they are, they either form grids or will attach to the grid, but you don't actually need storage at all. So if, so if solar is on and you're not connected to a grid, it will just start its own little grid for you. You know, the IQ8s. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, cool. <laughs> so I, I can now right as I'm kind of getting back into this, first of all, they've got these massive uh, goals, right? So this is a company that's talking in terms of timelines and decades they're saying by um, the end of 2030, by uh, around 2030, we want to have equipped 1.5 million buildings in Europe. That's a heck of a goal for a company uh, <laughs> with photovoltaic storage systems, recharging solutions for electric vehicles and heat pumps, right? Those are, that, those are great yeah. things because well, those are all really valuable assets. This is Germany, remember, and they have a mandate now that any new construction from January this year has to have a photovoltaic system installed. It's a requirement. Gotcha. It sounds like they're they're also they have their 
they're very close to the front line of this by working directly with the installation companies. And they've got a dozen locations around Germany and Sweden. Yeah. Uh, they got a CEO, Badri Kothandaran. And I can just imagine, he says, by providing granular access to homeowners, clean energy assets, such as PV, battery, EV charging stations, heat pumps, we can enable his company to offer additional energy services. So, but I can just imagine him sitting down with uh, Ragu and Ragu talking about the new grid of grids, right? <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, you know, rebuilding the grid from the inside out, which is what we're going to get in this interview. And this fellow, um, uh, Badri going, yeah, you're our guy. We want your tech. We want that, that uh, he uses the term like um, uh, the marketplace of buyers and sellers, right? That must have fit right in line with their goals here. So very, uh, very cool. And, you know, it, it, what's, it's interesting. Enphase is such an interesting company, right? It's like these guys have pioneered the microinverter. They're in this, you know, they're devout believers in the AC coupled uh, kind of strategy for PV. And find that for people. Yeah. And it, basically, um, you know, they have AC microinverters and those are um, each of the panels, they have an inverter under each individual panel. That's the hallmark of, of Enphase's technology, the micro inverter, as opposed to having, if you have a dozen panels and you have one central inverter, or in the case of DC optimized systems like SolarEdge, you have uh, little DC optimizers, which look a little bit like micro inverters, but everything is, all the inversions happening at one central on the side of the uh, house. So you've got these kind of different architecture for the inverter side of the picture. In the case of Enphase, they pioneered the microinverter in panel level uh, optimization. And there's all these great benefits we've learned about over the years, right? From we're talking about, I mean, I don't know if these guys got 20 years under their belt, but they've got to be getting close to that, right? Sure. So we're talking about all these nuanced little advantages in the AC coupled world. Uh, first of all, ease of installation. Uh, and these are things we've we revisited over the years many, many times, but ease of installation and design, very simple to put in. It, it took PV from this complex thing of how do we exactly we do this on this given roof line to just plug and play pretty much, right? And then anybody sure. could become a new PV installer. And that's actually how we kind of got into it at you know, my company earlier. And then, it, but also as it evolved and grew and became smarter and smarter, started to do other things, you know, and more recently with the IQ8s, they're probably on there like, you know, they're, uh, they started out with like the M130s or something or like early on. And then they, now they're all the way up to these IQ8s after dozens of iterations. And, you know, now they're doing really remarkable things and they've added storage and they're talking, we're going to learn about this stuff from uh, Ragu in this interview, but there are little nuanced advantages in this AC coupled kind of, um, uh, you know, the way of thinking about inversion. And some of them are like, you wouldn't think about, right? For example, when you ate, when you AC couple, you're doing, you're, 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 you're creating in DC, you're inverting into AC, and then you're uh, basically transmitting that AC energy into your loads, right? Um, but, in, but in the case of storage, you then need to uh, uh, rectify, is that the right word, Jay? rectify from AC back to DC to charge the batteries. So there's inherent losses in those multiple stages, right? Going from the DC on the panel to the AC in your house, your, uh, throughout your, through your house loads, and then getting down to a battery on the side of the 
house and then going back to DC. So people think to themselves, well, and, and of course, Tesla is an AC coupled uh, architecture as well, right? The most popular one out there. But there are, so, and of course, more efficient round trip efficiencies are better in DC coupled systems, right? So like Solar Edge, which is what I'm going to have on my, my house with uh, their new battery. Um, and I like that efficiency. And that's why I chose that. However, there are other advantages in the AC coupled world and in the microinverter panel level optimization world, which is kind of interesting. They talk about turning on with lower voltages, I think, right? Earlier in the day, they have and late and turning off later. So you have a broader window. Does that equal the, the losses? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's like, so, you know, there, there's a handful of other interesting advantages in terms of ease of installation and simplicity that seems to have mirrored itself even in the solar plus storage world. I've talked to guys that are putting in the new ensemble batteries. In fact, I got a call from a past client that put one in. I spoke to Damon, who has done a handful of them here in Maui of Jackson Electric. He's going to be helping me out with some installs soon. And, you know, he talks about it's a pretty simple solution and he likes it, right? He was very positive about uh, Enphase. And they recently, by the way, I don't know if you heard this one, Jay, uh, they reduced their um, price per kilowatt hour pricing considerably. When it first came out, it was pretty high. It was priced out of the market. Uh, but over the course of the last year, maybe they reduced it. So it's, it's, a, it's a very reasonable number and it's right up there competing with the best of the other technologies, namely Generac, Tesla, SolarEdge is coming into market now with their complete offering. But then of course, all the other guys, I don't know how the other guys are doing the Evervolts and the SunPower Equinoxes and all the other, you know, ones that were kind of chomping at the, at the, you know, biting at the, at the vet that, but um, anyway, so it, the, the AC coupled, uh, technology is and and the 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 advantages there i could see in the simplicity when you're trying to hit a goal like 1.5 million buildings retrofitted i could see that simplicity being very attractive is my point <laughs> okay so i can I, I get it i get it <laughs> took a long time to get there it did, yeah, it did. <laughs> absolutely um we're gonna talk about hydrogen hydrogen in the news pretty much Every time you turn around these days, um, one of the things you sent me was actually from from Car Scoops, which is a website I had not heard of. <laughs> but okay, um, I don't know but, but they they're talking about um, Honda making fixed fuel cell generators. This is a really big shift for hydrogen fuel cell. Right, um, they've traditionally been in a few cars. Uh, there was conversation about having the little fuel cell um, laptops a number of years ago that kind of were all the rage in the news and then disappeared, <laughs> never, never showed up again. This is a use case for hydrogen where I really, really think it makes sense Yeah, because these are, it's, it comes as, as a, this particular package is for like data centers, um, places you absolutely need power up and running all the time, whether or not the grid goes up and down. Uh, a lot of data centers in California, for example, but they have rolling blackouts. I mean, you get, <laughs> you get real problems right. trying to run a data center in an environment like that uh, because the, you cannot have the servers just crash. You cannot have the AC go off because everything will cook itself. Um, you, you need that power and you need it stable. Um, they've traditionally been using regular diesel generators for this type of stuff. You know, you have a big generator that fires up when there's, when the power goes out uh, and they and they burn a lot of fuel. But there's problems with that. Like if you don't use the generator for a while, it may have issues simply starting. The fuel gets old. Uh, all these, it needs constant maintenance and it's a big mechanical thing. Um, so, so those types of problems come from traditional generator technology. This fuel cell box, it four, four boxes, looks to be 
about this. I mean, it's, it's hard to get scale on this particular photo, the image that they have, but mm -hmm. it looks like it's the size of kind of a large uh, HVAC kind of system you would see on yeah. the back of a building. So there's four of these boxes, but it is a meg of a megawatt of AC power that it will generate. These things, are, that's, that, that's a significant amount of juice. So that is, that is a lot of, a lot of juice. Um, and then did they give any, they didn't give any costing, did they? No, this is, so this, it's a proof of concept. It's actually yeah. going to be run on Honda's own data center right now, uh, just to see if this will actually function as they expect it to. They're still running with this old, uh, the bluish ocean looking power of dreams, uh, graphic, which I absolutely hate. It's so 20 years ago, <laughs> Power of dreams. But, but the, uh, but the technology inside is really, really cool. The problem I mean, like I said, it's, it's, it's absolutely great because there's no, it's a fuel cell type system. It, there's very little in mechanical components that can go wrong. There's obviously, I mean, chemical, chemical and flow issues you could deal with, but hydrogen, if it's contained, uh, doesn't go bad. I mean, hydrogen, hydrogen, it's not going to not going to sit there and stagnate and, and go stale on you. Um, it it just is what it is, and you can conceivably keep it there for years yes. without firing up. It's not something you can do with a diesel generator. It's also super fast to start because as soon as you introduce the hydrogen into the system, it starts generating electricity. Um, so there's no like. Um delay period ramp up period as there would be right. in a diesel generator right yeah generators are not cheap right they're they're expensive and they require maintenance and they require you know you have to you have to someone has to be on site there's annual checks like you said the fuel and the oil the different the death all that stuff needs to be kind of uh, managed right not to mention not to mention the noise and the smell <laughs> right right and you have that delay which i think must be relevant they must have some kind of ups to kind of manage that delay there's, anyway. there's always yeah there's always a little battery yeah. system that that kind of buffers that for, for data center use. There was, uh, I don't know if you saw that other article I sent you about the home fuel cell from um, the Australian company, very small. It was like, they were mm -hmm. comparable to like Tesla power packs. Yeah. But the quote was, I thought telling, uh, let me see if I can find it real fast, Jay, I really liked it. Um, it was, uh, where is it? It's right here. Oh yeah, here we go. So this is a, there, this is a Australian company and I happen to have some experience with Australians. <laughs> so I thought it was great language, right? Um, and so they're asking them about the safety of these systems, right? And this is basically the same. And this is, uh, by the way, this is called, uh, what is this called? Lavo, right? Lavo. Mm -hmm. So it's like a resi version of the one Jay's describing right now. Uh, and he goes, uh, inherently no more dangerous than other conventional fuels, such as gasoline or natural gas, but it's fair to say it could really get a party started in the rare event that a house fire managed to reach it. <laughs> What a quote, man. Uh, and again, you could say the same thing about your propane tanks or the gas in your car. But <laughs> It could really get a party started. They're saying this thing goes boom. It's a lovely way of looking at the world, isn't it? <laughs> Those guys are great. They're just like, uh, it's just so, it's, I could, if you ask me, like, so who, who said yeah. Like but, but so the, the point, the point is being able to do this. This is, like I said, it's a really good use case for hydrogen. I don't know if I like hydrogen at home. Uh, in the home, I don't think I like hydrogen as like personal vehicle for fleet vehicles. Yeah, one hundred fifty percent all day so long. For fleet, I understand the fleet vehicle versus personal vehicle, just based on energy densities and ease of use with the the, the batteries and things of that nature. I suspect. What's handling? But handling, handling, handling the. I mean, you, you've seen people dealing have, with hydrogen. Yeah, well, with yeah. hydrogen, it needs to be handled appropriately. It's under pressure. Yeah. It's cold. You know, you can't just 
walk up to a gas station and kind of, you know, you've seen people at the gas station, they tap the nozzle. I'm waiting for one to create a spark and blow people up or they're sitting there with their phone, not supposed to be doing that either. Smoking at the gas pump, you know, all these things that people do that are bad. Smoking at the hydrogen and, pump. <laughs> Let's see if we can catch you know. it. Yeah. Um, you know, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. So yeah. So it's not really a great resolution from your perspective, but it's more of a something that's controlled in a professional environment. It could work wonders basically. Mid, mid to large scale. And it, like I said, it has all these benefits of not degrading over time. Uh, you get tremendous amount of energy out of it. Fuel cell, not so much. I think fuel cells are like between 53 and 56% of your overall energy input. But as I've said you before, mean if you were going, if, if yeah. yeah, but if you were, but if you were generating your hydrogen with renewables that were otherwise going to be wasted or not yeah. used, then it's free energy. So you're getting 56% of free. Right. <laughs> right. It would, and, and that's really important to get for people to get their head around. Right. That this yeah. is not that efficiency loss in the fuel cell is not something in this scenario of green hydrogen. And it's getting better. Yeah, is not something that is comparable to like looking at efficiencies in production, really. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Very good. Well, I, I, you I talk you about know, dust. You like dust. <laughs> I love dust. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a we've got a co company out here that's working on um, what's the name of this article? It's working on new ways to clean solar panels, right? And then it's funny because I was talking with Jay about it, and the the title of the article it's the Independent: Solar panels that repel dust can save ten billion gallons of drinking water every year. And the Jay goes. Well, no one cleans their solar panels anyway, right? which is kind of <laughs> true. I mean, it's really true because, um, you know, when you even the solar farms that I know of and the, people don't want like in the resi world anyway, when it's not really a, um, a company looking at a P&L and, and, and a baseline of revenue. That's it's just a cost. People are like, I don't want to pay someone to get up on my roof, maybe fall off the roof and sue me. It's like I don't, they just kind of put that thing off. And there have been yeah. solutions over the years. There's been little sprinkler systems like for grass, like for your lawns. I remember when they came out like a decade and a half ago, and I was like, oh my goodness, we're putting up there were certain soaps you could buy and stuff. But, I've and seen then, people you know, out there with a little gun, you know, you just there's people out there by yourself, you know. There's they're washing them with like, you know, you have little solar panel washing services. I'll tell you what, those guys never last long, not in Maui. They're here for like about a month or a year or something, and then they just disappear. And there's another guy comes in and he's like, I'm gonna take over the solar panel cleaning business. It's just a hard business, right? Getting up on roof doing that. Um, and then you know, but it is important and it does make a difference, there's no doubt about it. Up to 30%. Uh, cleaning, I, I, I cleaned these little bifacials I was messing around with the other day. They were dirty. I fixed them up and I was watching the actual wattage and it would just, the, the change was remarkable, instantaneous, you know, it went from, it just boomed up considerably because they were dirty. They were dirty. Um, so we're talking next, now next about- time you do that, I want you to document it. Like, yeah. get, me, get me data. I have screenshots. I'll send, I'll send you the screenshots yeah, yeah, of the Victron, uh, the, uh, the Bluetooth uh, data for the app. Um, but, you know, the bottom line is that um, they're looking at other ways to do this. Now, to, 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 in fairness, to talk about some of the additional things that are actually out there, we've seen over the years, Jay, they have um, little robots for utility scale or commercial scale systems that roll back and forth on these uh, arrays maybe they're two or three panels deep and they're like you know uh, a football field long and it's like a little robot like kind of Roomba looking thing for solar panels right but those are attached mm -hmm. to tanks there's water sometimes there's soap who knows it's a fair fairly intensive you know labor it was process a traditional washing system yeah you're washing it yeah 
So they're trying to find other solutions. Now, before we get to this, I got one more for you. We got uh, companies like EnduroShield with Gary Dolberg and the fellas' names are escaping me right now. Um, it'll come to me in a little bit. Unique name, the CEO and the, the leaders out in San Diego, an Australian company, EnduroShield. And they uh, basically have a, um, a coating that works on glass to protect glass. It also has these oleophobic and hydrophobic oil kind of shedding and water shedding characteristics, and it keeps them cleaner, right, as a consequence. So you have that as a mechanism, which I think is interesting. And then now we've got this. Now, what is going on here? This is the first time I've seen this static charge conversation. Can you explain the technology behind it? Um it's it's relatively simple is that you generate a static charge around a plate and basically wave it over and it you I mean you've seen what happens to fuzz and dust and stuff when you rub a balloon uh it's pretty much the same thing so you can collect dust by the dust attracted the dust to the plate or repelled charge. The plate. so it's it's not it's not actually in contact with the panel it's just like very very close to it and they just pass that across all the dust gets stuck to the panel as it like goes. Like a wand in a sense. It's, yeah. it's relatively simple. The problem is to do that at scale is much more difficult. Right. Um, if you, you, you're not going to have somebody just rubbing balloons on their head and <laughs> around all the different solar panels. Um, it needs, it needs, the system itself needs to be cleaned. Um, you need to be able to turn on and off the charge because that's when everything drops off. Like if you can actually turn the charge off, the dust will just settle out. Um, and they've been using it for a long time, like in um, NASA uses it to clean uh, solar panels and, and satellite components, things that are going to space. They don't want any particulate of any kind, right? Mm. So in the clean room environment, they can quickly go around a, a unit and, and sterilize it pretty much right. completely. Um, but, but out in the real world, it's been very difficult to do because of I mean, obviously humidity, you know, this whole static thing doesn't work. It uh, works better in the winter, doesn't work in summer, doesn't work so well in uh, environments like Hawaii because it's warm and humid, <laughs> but uh, they seem to have cracked the code. That's kind of the, the, the thing here is that these researchers at MIT have figured out how to make it work in much more standard, much more humid, much more normal air environments, especially yeah where we put out, we tend to roll out a lot of solar, like right. large hot deserts and islands. Yeah. I mean, look, anything water hits home uh, kind of specially for me because I live on catchment. You've heard me say many times. So I'm, I'm kind of like very sensitive to the notion of water. No one in this house will leave a water faucet on for more than a few seconds. It's, and no one needs to yell at anyone because we've been without water before. Right? So it's like, <laughs> you, you know, it's out. like on, wash your hands you know, but rinse, you know, it's, it's that kind of deal in this house. Um, that being said, the quality of the water is amazing because it's not, it's just from the sky. But so the notion of how to protect uh, water to me is kind of something that I think about a lot. And, uh, and I think that this is, uh, uh, you know, a great potential solution. I would like to understand better the costing of it and the practice. I like to see it done in, 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 in real world conditions. I mean, I can imagine we're going to probably have a, a suite of technologies to make cleaning of panels more effective. And it may be that something like an Enduro shield is applied as a standard to panels in the future. So they just collect less stuff 
as a standard, right? They, they just don't have as much on them over a given period of time in a given set of conditions. And then maybe something like this can be used to, you know, make a, an impact as well. And then there's probably going to need to be cleaning, but maybe it's not cleaning every year or six months. Maybe it's cleaning every two years, you know, and you save, save gallons that way. So, um, yeah. but what, yeah, what very cool. targeting specifically is like desert installs or, or dry, dusty, arid areas um, where you get a tremendous amount of dust, but it's dust storms. So I think cleaning mm. would be intermittent, right? You need, you clean it when you see it drop output, drop below a certain threshold. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also the kind of thing where it sounds like the way that technology works, it could be a permanently fitted tech on an array. These arrays tend to be like a linear, like just one pathway of panels. So maybe it's mm. something that could be there and you could be, Oh, the dust is settled. Okay, turn it on. There it goes. Yeah, it just runs runs down. Maybe it runs once a week. Who knows? That's Whatever that's is, attractive. Right? I still think it would be threshold based because it has a chart. It has it uses the electricity that the array is generating, right? So right. it needs it, it, by turning it on on a regular basis, you are reducing output. So turn it on when you need it. Not only if you do it during the daytime. Oh, good <laughs> okay. night, man. <laughs> Fine, that's easy. But regardless, there is no commercial product yet. This is still simply it's it's a white paper from from MIT, and they they know how to do it. It's not a not something you can buy just yet. Did they uh, was the white paper there? Could you access the PDF? Yes. Yep. It's down the bottom of the oh boy. Uh, Sunday reading for J. Called electrostatic dust removal using absorbed moisture assisted charge induction for sustainable operation of solar panels. Yay! <laughs> God, Yay! <laughs> Love it. <laughs> love it. Love it. All right. Now that we've reached uh, peak geek, let's do this. I think it's time to jump over to one of our favorite guests of all time, four-time contributor and friend of the solar coaster, Mr. Ragu Balor. What was his titles again, Jay? You said him a second ago. Chief product officer and uh, co-founder. I mean, the co-founder part is the, is the big deal. He had the, he's one of the original visionaries. All right. Let's dive deep into Ragu Balor's mind and see what's going on with Enphase. Going to... There we go. Okay, here we go. And I'm going to go three, two, one. Aloha and welcome to the Solar Coaster live show here for Solar Power International North America Smart Energy Week. Got one of my favorite guests uh, of all time, really, from the radio show and from the, from the trade show work, Mr. Ragu Balor of Enphase, founder of Enphase. How are you today, sir? Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. It's always exciting to talk to you guys. It's been a while, so I'm looking forward to this discussion. It has been a bit. It has been a bit. And we remember our conversation, our last one in Salt Lake City, and we got so much out of that. And like I just said to you a minute ago, I woke Jason up, Jason up in Japan and said, hey, I'm talking to Ragu today. Give me your best <laughs> questions. So I know he's excited. He sends his regards. Uh, so let's jump right in here, uh, Ragu. What is um, going on with Ensemble? And your new storage systems, uh, all of the, I know there's a lot of uh, buzz out there, a lot of excitement about this technology. Why don't we um, get caught up as uh, right away? Yeah, absolutely. So just as a reminder for people, Ensemble is a energy management technology that incorporates a bunch of different resources. And the goal being to, to treat a home as a microgrid and build this highly resilient, self-reliant microgrid. And Ensemble as the energy management technology kind of brings it all together. It can manage solar, your storage, load control, um, the grid itself, 
um, generator and someday fuel cells, EV, et cetera, all of those things can be managed through this energy management technology that we have developed. And of course, as you can imagine today, the core element of that technology starts with, 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 with the, of course, our IQ7 microinverter along with energy storage. And the energy storage market for us has been absolutely fantastic. It's growing at an unbelievable flip. Uh, we've been in the market now for about a year with our, uh, uh, with our in-phase storage solution. And uh, it's been really, really well adopted. And, and the growth rate also has been um, uh, uh, quite phenomenal. So we are very excited about it. And then uh, the other, um, the, actually, the, the kind of the, uh, how sh what should I call it? The star of Ensemble is this IQ8 microinverter, which is the world's first grid agnostic microinverter that's about to launch. We are going to launch it in, in this month. It's going to start shipping. And uh, that's a fully grid agnostic microinverter. Just as, again, as a reminder, uh, the big breakthrough there for us was, you know, if you think about the fundamental limitation, as I referred to, of solar, is that it's grid tied, meaning if the grid is grid fails for any reason, and even if the sun may be shining, you've got all these modules on the roof, it's not going to produce any power. That we think is really, uh, uh, you know, the kind of the promise of solar is in MET when you have a grid type solar system. What we have done is crack the code on is, hey, all the available irradiance, it's going to convert solar only. So think about a daytime backup system, if you may. So here you buy solar and hey, whatever available sun, I'm going to convert regardless of whether the grid is present or not. And that I think is going to be a pretty big game changer. I mean, why would anybody want to buy a grid tied solar system anymore? Of course, you add energy storage to it and now you have a, a pretty resilient system that works both during the day and at night. That's uh, that is quite it's so funny. We tend to talk when there's something really exciting happening. It's almost like this kind of hey, uh, I'm about to launch the, the some groundbreaking inverter, and then I knock on your door and I start talking with you. So it's great timing. I, I am ex I'm excited about this idea of, of grid agnostic microinverter. So, really, we're talking about, as I understand it, and because we talked about this earlier, the notion of a, a system that can form and create energy and meet loads during the daytime without energy storage. And that's correct, right? That's 100% correct. There is, uh, it's, uh, there is no energy storage. And, and this, this system will form the grid in the absence of one. The, by the way, if the grid is present, great. If the grid is not present, great. It's going to form, synthesize the grid in the absence of it. And it's going to balance the microgrid. Because remember, part of it is not just sufficient to form the grid. When the loads change, when the load drops, I have to match precisely that drop in the load. That's what a microgrid does. And the reaction time of IQ8 is about a thousand times faster than even an IQ7. So it reacts to changing loads extremely quickly. So if the load drops, the, 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 the output of solar will curtail because there is no grid. I don't have any place to put it. I don't even have storage for that matter to put it, but it matches exactly what that load is. And if the load bumps up again, it instantly matches it and it operates like a perfect microgrid. And that's what we are going to launch. That's IQ8 by itself. But remember, it is in a core part of the overall ensemble energy management technology. So if you have only IQ8, and the grid, that's great. And the grid goes away, no problem. IQ8 continues to operate. You may have IQ8 along with some load control. 
And in that case, you can say, hey, I have a solar-only system, I should probably shed some non-essential loads. Or you can say, no, I've got solar, I, I can afford to add some storage. And in our case, our storage is a 3.3 kilowatt hour building block. So you can choose, I can say, I only want 3.3 kilowatt hours. So I got, I got a six kilowatt IQ8 system on my roof and I, and I want only 3.3 kilowatt hour storage and I'll do essential load backup only. It's amazing. That use case also works. It's or amazing. You can go all the way and all in and go, hey, I'm going to put seven kilowatts of PV. I'm going to put 20 kilowatt hours of storage and I'm going to back everything up. I will do whole home backup and I may do some load rejection like my hot tub. I don't want to back that up. All of that is possible now. All of that controlled, controlled and managed with a beautiful app that runs on your phone. There's so many questions I have for you here, but I, we need to talk a little bit about Ensemble as a storage system and what you have with that modularity. That's key because that's fundamentally different than most of the offerings in market today as well. And then we have this IQ8, which is basically a whole new ballgame. And we have the notion of load controls, which I think is also kind of unmarketed in and of itself, right? So you're handling a lot of territory here. Uh, yeah. And um, so let's do this. Let's do this. Where? Let me ask you, before we jump into some of those specifics, where do you see this going in its entirety where do yeah. you see this going in its entirety because you're tackling different what up until now has been different pieces of the so emerging solar plus battery marketplace yeah. and now they're all coming in at one yeah. spot where is this all going oh that's an awesome question you know we have a grand vision i have a very clear view on where i think the world is going right that's the danger of having grand visions and 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 uh and working towards it, but I do have a grand vision. And the grand vision here is that, um, that every home should be a self-reliant, resilient microgrid. It'll have a number of resources. When I mean resources, solar obviously is, is a resource. The grid itself is a resource. Managing, controlling, controlling loads is actually a resource. Load effectively becomes a resource because I can vary how much I consume if I have really intelligent load control, right? EV, eventually going to bi-directional EV is actually a very powerful resource, whether that is vehicle to grid or vehicle to microgrid. I believe that vehicle to microgrid will be a more viable uh, scenario. We are working on fuel cells, so residential fuel cell. All of these means that no matter what the environment is, no matter what the situation is, if the grid is present or whatever the environment is, I save money, it's good for, for, good for my wallet. Uh, I have great resiliency, which means no matter what happens to the grid, I can sustain myself for a very long period of time because I have all of these resources available in the home. Not only do I have all of these resources, I have a very intelligent system to manage and control all of my resources, right? So I have a very resilient system um, uh, as well. What this really means is what we are building is this micro, the home as a microgrid. But think about it a little bit beyond that, right? If you think about one home as a microgrid, my neighbor is also a microgrid. Can I now start pooling these microgrids together to form pools of microgrids? And this is very recursive in nature. And you can think about entire neighborhoods, entire cities then forming microgrids with a big difference. This microgrid is created from the inside out, from the home upwards, 
not from tops down like people think about microgrids today. So you, in, a, in a sense, what you're doing is reinventing the entire grid from the inside out. Homes will start transacting energy with each other. There's a tremendous amount of opportunities, lots of machine learning, AI systems in there that make decisions, autonomous decisions. These DERs are now becoming so intelligent. They're all making autonomous decisions. My, I, I, I joke about this, but it will come to reality, I think, is my neighbor's washing machine wants to run and it puts out a bid on a marketplace. Yeah. All the homes are in marketplace. My solar panels modules respond to that bid and saying, yeah, hey, I will be the lowest cost. Why my batteries are full, my, 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 my owner's on vacation. I really don't have anywhere else to put this energy in. Why don't I bid for that job? And you know, there'll be other systems also bidding for it. But all of this will happen in the background. It'll be very transparent to the user, but it will absolutely maximize the best, provide the best economics for all participants in those pools of microgrids. Well, there's so much there. There's so much meat on that bone, Raghu. So when we talk about something like this, you know, it feels like energy has traditionally been a controlled market, very controlled mo a monopoly in many respects, right? Marketplace. Now you're talking about decentralizing that, creating this grassroots up from the bottom, almost like a democratized energy marketplace uh, that's very freeing. It's very idealistic. Are you an activist? <laughs> it sounds. <laughs> it's no, very I still, believe that it, I still believe that it will be economics driven. That's really important that it will be economics driven because I don't have to. I mean, there'll be a market clearing price and I will provide the best service to my neighbor if I don't have a need for myself, right? So it, it will be market driven. Absolutely, it needs to be market driven. That's really important. And, but I think you will find that if you let the markets play out in this manner, you'll have a very, very efficient system, which means you'll have the best economics, you'll have the highest resiliency, and most important of all, you'll have a very, you'll have a renewable clean system, right? Absolutely. That's delivering this great promise. Absolutely. How far, the, the, the vision, I asked you for the vision first, right out of the gate. How far is something like that away? Are we talking about years or decades? I mean, is this something that you see forming in, I know it's so difficult to pin numbers on it, but is this something you start to see, see you start, you'll start to see happening, you know, soon? Absolutely. I think it's you're looking at, um, in my view, uh, five years, right? I think you're going to start seeing elements of it in, in five years. You know, the one thing that one player that we cannot uh, marginalize or ignore in this is the utility, right? They have to be an active participant in this because it's their infrastructure. They've already invested. There's a lot to learn from them. Their infrastructure has to be, they and their infrastructure has to be part of this grand vision. So today we so if you look at, we are already doing elements of this grand vision. For example, my house is a pretty resilient microgrid. I can, from my app, from the Enphase app, I can hit a button and I go off grid. And there've been, I think last summer I was running off grid as a microgrid, as a fully resilient, I've got enough solar and enough storage and some amount of load control that I was, I think, off grid for 60 days. In the summer, it was absolutely possible to do that. 60 days, wow. 60 days, I was running off grid and I'm connected to my local utility. And then I decided one day, okay, this experiment is 
okay, I have the utility, I should just connect back to it. And from the app, I was able to connect connect right, right back. So, so elements of this vision are already, already at play, in play. And so when we talk about all of these things and your comment about, hey, there's a lot here, there's load control in and of itself is a, is a big deal. And so is storage and so is solar and, and so is EV, et cetera. But it all is, we are on track with a grand, on, on track marching down towards a grand vision of ours, which is this notion of a home being a microgrid and then the ability to pool microgrids and energy being transacted. Now, coming back to the notion of, like I said, we cannot ignore or marginalize our, our friends in the utility business because they have to be part of this vision. Otherwise, it's not going to work, right? In my view, you cannot be confrontational about this. They have to be part of it. And we are doing that today. It's called grid services, right? Today, we, we have a very intelligent system sitting in the background, sitting behind the meter with solar and storage and load control today. If the grid needs support, whether that is advanced grid function support, whether that is capacity support or any other kind of a support, we are, there's a good likelihood that we can provide it. And we can provide it in a manner that is a win-win-win. Win for the utility, win for the homeowner, of course, win for entries as well, but can be done, okay? It can be done in a manner that everybody benefits from it. The utility doesn't have to turn on a polluting picker plant and they, if there is a capacity requirement, uh, the home and they, they make it very economical for the homeowner to participate. So the homeowner wins as well. And then phase gets to manage these systems, which is pretty exciting. So I think uh, it's, these are, there's some really exciting times ahead of us and a lot of opportunities. Very good. And, and I agree with you. Of course, I share the sentiment that it's really exciting future. Uh, I did speak with Jason this morning. I did ask him his hard questions out in Osaka. And he said, we got to talk about interoperability, Josh. We have to know uh, about security, about cybersecurity. How are we going to handle the bad actor factor? You know, people out there that are or organizations out there that intend to do harm and may want to access this software and this hardware to do who knows what. What are your feelings on that? Let's, let's, let's tackle interoperability first. Is this something where you're going to have a refrigerator that's like a Enphase approved Panasonic fridge that, that works great with our system? Or is it something that's totally agnostic and works with everything that's already out there? Um, you know, and then also, are you thinking about uh, a, pro a proprietary kind of licensing type of thing? Or is it more of a open source kind of thing? Which, which can you give us some clarity on that? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, we have some, some, a lot of internal discussions. This is, this is, this is all in play. Um, we are effectively building a, an ensemble operating system, right? And that operating system basically means that many of these resources can participate on that operating system, right? When you talk about interoperability, what can be more interoperable than being in the AC domain? Being AC, AC is the most, the, the biggest standard that's out there. I can go anywhere in the US and it'll be 240 volts, 60 hertz. That's why if you look at why we went down the path of making everything AC coupled, right? Effectively, we took a dumb module, put an IQ8 or a 7 IQ8 in front of it, AC coupled it to your grid in the house. If that's exactly what we did with storage as well. We took cells, lithium cells, put IQ8s in front of it, and now AC coupled it onto a 
universal platform. The universal platform is AC. So it's really important for, when you think about interoperability, it really begins there. What's the power uh, standard that you are going to adhere to? I'm really taking a knock on uh, against DC coupled systems because DC coupled systems, uh, you know, everybody has their own standard. There is no standard. When everybody has a standard, it means that there is no standard. People can be at any level, any DC voltage, and any interaction um, uh, right. between them. And so it becomes much, much harder. That's why you'll see the world moving more and more towards AC coupled systems. And, I, you know, we were one of the first guys to launch an AC coupled battery very, very early on. And we, I took a lot of flack for that, going, hey, two power conversions, extra inverters, and all of this. And it's all been proven to be not, I mean, not correct. So having an AC coupled system, which is very modular, means that you can really benefit from being on a standard. Now, interoperability obviously doesn't end there. There's so many other vectors as well. If you look at things such as communication standard, um, other, you know, there is standardization now taking place with IEEE 1547, 2018. If you look at things such as um, 2030.5, there is a lot of standardization that's taking place out there and that's good. Um, we all get to bring our own flavor into delivering the best value to our customers. However, at the same time, if there is some interaction, interconnection requirements, say with the utility as an example, that's getting more and more standardized. So there's a good, I look at it as a good healthy balance between real value that companies like ours can create while at the same time playing nice with the grid as an example. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'll tell you what, and there's certainly, I, I know that conversation of DC coupled versus AC coupled. And so you obviously have, you know, kind of gone all in with all of your chips, so to speak, in the AC coupled uh, camp, right? And I suppose the, the notion of uh, less conversions doesn't warrant all of the extra benefits you just described in the AC coupled world. That's what it sounds like to me. Now, let me ask you this. There's a couple of audiences. This is kind of an additional piece here that are going to be watching this, right? We have the Solar Power International environment, and we also have the Hawaii environment. And I'll start out with Hawaii. It's a little smaller. So one of the things that's happening right now here in Hawaii, and I'm sure you're uh, aware of this to a certain degree, but there is a new incentive program in Oahu because we're, we're, by the way, Maui, I don't know if you saw the NREL study, but and NREL is modeling 100% renewables for Maui right now for 2024. Yeah, Maui, right? And then Oahu, they're going to have some trouble with that because they don't have as much deployable space. Uh, they're talking about different solutions and storage is a key piece of this puzzle. So yeah. they're modeling, uh, they're, they have a new incentive program where they pay customers yeah. to put Absolutely. in batteries. So uh, what would you say to, I think you guys probably own about 40, 50% of the market space, just guessing out there in Oahu. Congratulations. So what would you say to all those people that have those, those, you know, IQ, what are they? I guess they were IQ. MCs, yeah. <laughs> so whatever. Oh, all right. The, uh, the, the 250s and all that. Yeah, so, <laughs> all the way back to the 175s. And 175. Yeah. I remember the 175. Yeah, the so, yeah. <laughs> I remember those. What are these things? Yeah. So, yeah. so now all these guys have them on their roof, early adopters, decade past almost right what would you say to them when they're trying to make that decision um uh, about batteries right now because right now with with the itc the and the the the, the um the stateside tax credit still at 35 percent, and the new battery incentive for oahu that is a great place to deploy a boatload of storage do you have any uh any 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 messaging for them or anything you'd like to share with the um, people of oahu 
Go Hawaii, go Hiko. I mean, this is amazing. These, I mean, I full credit to actually to the people of Hawaii and Hiko as well. I think it's been very progressive. Look around. We talk about California being progressive, but I don't think anybody's as progressive and forward thinking and and aggressive when it comes to renewables as 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 Hawaii and Hiko. Yeah. And so, you know, we love the program. I think it's fantastic. This is the beauty of being an AC coupled solution. You can have an M-series inverter on your roof. You can come in and add more PV if you want. By the way, this, this is latest generation of solar, of uh, microinverters, because you'll have all the advanced grid functions to go with it. You can come in and add as much storage as you want. You really, when you purchase that Enphase system, even five years, eight years ago, you really bought a future-proof system. Because wow. this is a proof of that. You can come in and add all of the latest greatest devices and and really now turn your home which was originally a grid tight system into a completely self-reliant microgrid it can be done and you can also have a storage system that actively participates in providing grid services to eco which is what the incentive there is to provide so you can scale up your solar system you can scale up your storage system you can right rather right size your storage system and both get both economics, resiliency, and grid services for the utility. Oh my God, that's great. It's, I, I mean, we, I mean it's, it's super exciting. Um, Josh, I don't want to forget your previous question around cybersecurity. Yep. You asked a really, really, really good question, and I want to make sure that I, I, I don't miss that question. Thank you. As you can imagine, we are in, you know, we're in a pretty complex world right now, and you can imagine energy is a, is, is a national security issue. It's not, it goes beyond cybersecurity, right? Um, you can have bad actors sitting out there and, you know, we have all these good connected inverters and um, um, you, 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 know, you, can, you, can, you can do some damage. And so we do pay an inordinate amount of attention to that. We have DOE programs that we are working on for hardening systems, et cetera. So I cannot go into a lot of details, suffice it to say that this is um, a very, very big deal. And and you know you can never have a perfect system, but we do the best we can to to uh, to make sure that uh, our systems, our customers are well taken care of, are are, are safe from a cybersecurity point of view, and um, and and we really look at this uh, very seriously. So a lot of work going on in that area. I think, uh, like I said, the DOE is actively involved. Uh, there are there are a number of companies working on it as well. This is top of mind for a lot of people. So uh, a lot of work going on in that area. Well, well, thank you. We'll definitely continue to follow that uh, that discussion. You know, there's a lot there. Um, and of course, we, there's precedent for that. We have things like, you know, Iran and the facility being, uh, you know, attacked and other things happening in the energy space over the course of the last couple of years that are maybe showing us what's possible. And, the you know, that's a big concern. So, okay. So we talked a little bit about, um, about Hawaii. By the way, before we jump off of Hawaii, I do want to say it feels really good to know that the people that bought a solar system, you know, seven, eight, nine, whatever many years ago can be part of all of this new, exciting kind of world. Because a lot, I mean, I remember those people. I remember the kitchen table conversations. Yeah. I remember mm-hmm. it was uh, oftentimes yeah. it was like, a, you know, a, an older fellow, like a grandpa in Oahu that owned his house and was just like, I want to do the right thing and got in early. So he isn't kind of out of the ball game because he was an early adopter. He's ready to be part of this. But just to Absolutely. be clear, can, if, if someone has one of those old, you know, M250s or M175s, I mean, is it the kind of thing where it's directly connected to that existing system or are we still replacing some of those inverters or what does that look like? 
Yeah, I think up to M250, you don't have to do any replacements. So M250, um, I'm not 100% sure about M215s, but M250, is we are fully backward compatible. I think M215 is also, the M series is backward compatible, which means now you can come in and add storage to it. And the combination of that solar plus storage, you can add load control as well to it. Um, down the road, you'll be able to add fuel cell to it. If you have a generator, you can add that into the system as well. All of those things are fully backward compatible. We are fully backward compatible all the way to the M series, um, M series inverters. I'm uh, not M175, which is about uh, eight, 15 years ago. So that's <laughs> a long ways back. But uh, hopefully, but also, you know, there is value in upgrading your systems if possible from your M series to your IQ because IQs also have all of these advanced grid function capabilities. Mm. They're all smart inverters. So what that allows, it also helps HECO out because you can now provide grid um, voltage support and other AGF functions that actually help further kind of stabilize the grid and, and provide, provide more resiliency to the grid itself. Well, thank you for that. And you did mention fuel cell, you did mention generator. So probably should touch on that because that's a, that's a heck of a thing. We are doing a hydrogen series on this, uh, this overall show area. And so give me a sense of what you mean with the generator. Are we talking about the ability to fire up any old generator and recharge your batteries so you have better longevity? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, in fact, what we have done is kind of amped it up a little bit, meaning you just connect the generator into our the, the, the smart switch that we have, which is called Empower, and the, the automatic transfer switch function is done in software, and it's built into it, so you don't need an extra ATS. That's one. Second, right. the beauty is that now generator runs in parallel mm. to your DER. Mm. So your solar, your storage, and your generator all work simultaneously. Wow. And of course, it, it, it checks to make sure that the grid is not present to bring the generator onto the microgrid. And once the generator comes on the microgrid, all of these DERs are now, all of these resources, sorry, are now cooperating to ensure that the best economics are delivered. Um, you know, all of this is controlled by our app as well. So generator is now part of the, part of the app. We, of course, try to run the system as much as possible on solar and storage, hmm. uh, given that, you know, of course, the, the, the generator is... Still a still a fossil fuel device, right? So, which we want to avoid as much as possible. So, we try to run the system on solar and storage. And in the event that you have an extended period of bad weather, I don't have enough solar. I still have my consumption. I've been I, my batteries are not charging up. My grid isn't present because you know you could be in a hurricane situation, as an example. I can fire on, turn on my generator, and help charge the battery. And so the generator can be configured to come on at different states of charge. Say, hey, my right. state of charge reaches this. Or if my, the moment I get disconnected from the grid, I want you to go to the generator. That's doable. Or, hey, only turn on the generator when I'm at a 30% state of charge in my battery, and then I'll shut it down the moment I reach 80%. That's possible. The fuel cell is a good addition as well. I mean, it runs a natural gas. It's a solid oxide fuel cell that we are working on. And what that will allow you to do is, again, it's, it can run in the middle of the night, it can turn on, and as soon as the battery level drops to 30%, it turns on and think about it, it's like trickle charges my batteries back up to about 80% because the battery provides the power and now it's fully charged up to even 100%. So I think it's a good, again, the goal being, it's really in line with our long our vision of providing that really resilient, self-reliant microgrid. And this is these are the things that enable 
that to happen. Are, are, are these, this is amazing. Are these, uh, is the fuel cell and the generator, are they going to be kind of third-party devices or are they going to be N-phase approved, you know, or N-phase itself kind of uh, uh, devices? Obviously, we are not in the generator business and we don't plan to be in the generator business. <laughs> so yeah, you can, yeah, it can be third-party generators. Fuel cell, on the other hand, is something that we are looking at very closely. I mean, we, are, we have invested in a fuel cell company at, uh, and... Uh, but it's more than just the solid oxide fuel cell. Um, it's also IQH embedded in there so that they can, the fuel cell now can be AC coupled. So mm -hmm. no, that's an N-phase fuel cell. Mm -hmm. And as far as the generator is concerned, obviously that's the part. Fantastic. So much going on in this space. Of course, we didn't jump into the EV world too much, but we can leave something for our next interview, I suspect. So one last thing before we wrap this up, we, this is for Solar Power International, uh, North America Smart Energy week 2021 and uh you know that community is going through a lot right now with hurricane ida uh, as well as uh you know uh, the the covid pandemic so is there a message that you have for that community by the way you know they are out of power at the moment and there's something like a million people that don't have power as we speak so i wonder to the community of new orleans and to the solar power international crew and all of these wonderful people that we work with is there anything you'd like to share with them just from end phase as a, as a closer Absolutely right. I mean, um, um, first and foremost, you know, we've all gone through some tough times in the last couple of last 18 months with the pandemic. But I think, you know, the, you know, there's always hope and we are coming through it. Right. We, we're going to be we're going to come out stronger. Um, and then, uh, you know, of course, the, the current challenge with, with Hurricane Ida. And, and I but the thing is, we, I think we as a community, the renewable, renewable energy community, is extremely, extremely strong. And we're doing a lot of things so that we can avoid these things in the future, particularly hey, I, a million people with no power. I think we have some really cool technology coming, really cool products coming. And it's not just the, the, the technology, the product that we are developing, the community at large, right? Our installation partners, our distribution partners, the utilities themselves, I think we are all going to, I mean, I think the, in, we are all doing a lot of things here so that we can avoid these things in the future. Um, and I think uh, I'm really proud of our community. I'm really, really happy that I'm part of the community. And uh, I think there is, uh, there's a lot of things to be, to feel positive about, because I think that uh, you'll see uh, fewer and fewer people being affected by this if we do our part in developing and phase developing the technology and the products and our partners and, 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 and delivering them to the homes and in an economical manner and in an efficient manner. So we can really deliver the promise of renewables. And I think, you know, and of course <laughs> the world benefits from it too. So. Couldn't agree with you more. And I want to thank you for your time today. This has been Raghu Balor, founder of Enphase and good time, good uh, long-term contributor and friend, I should say, to the Solar Coaster Radio Show here in Maui. We appreciate you very much. Please keep up the good work and uh, thank you again for your time. Awesome, thank you, Josh, and good luck. Thank you. All right, that's Raghu Balor, Enphase Energy co-founder, chief product officer, brilliant fella, a lot of fun to talk to. Uh, Jay, any thoughts on that and that interview or, or um, Raghu in general? Yeah, it was, it's 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 really nice to get him to just talk about the vision, right? I mean, that's that's what we is what we we like to hear about where they're making progress toward this total um, massive. I mean, you know, I come from an IT background, so redundancy is great. He's talking about this massively redundant uh, microgrid of microgrids in a larger grid, 
and everything talking to each other and every like, just just buying and selling little packets of energy all over the place. I mean, it's, I it's, it's, it's literally a Star Trek kind of future. You know how they do those explainer videos where someone's like penciling something in. Actually, I can't stand those things, but 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 I I, I keep thinking of one where the where the 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 washing machine is like as a little it's personified. It's got a little face and it's saying, "Hey, it's like a little stock trader on the floor." And it's like, "Ah, I want to buy electricity. Who's got it?" And someone's over here like, "I'll sell it. My solar." System. That's uh Ragu's vision, <laughs> the way I envision it anyway. So um very good. Yeah, I really get a kick out of that. And by the way, that's a heck of a we sat around and talked for quite a while on that one. So we'll see if we can fit that in. Um, but let's jump right into some of the policy things that are happening around around the world in hydrogen and uh and, and just get a sense of what what we're excited about. Which one of these do you want to touch base on first? <laughs> I love that. You said um, that we were going to talk about policy and, and energy, and you said policy in hydrogen specifically. Well, aren't they all but hydrogen? That is, but that, <laughs> that is that is what's going on right now. I mean, you talk about talk about hydrogen, talk about hydrogen, talk about hydrogen. So um, a trio of U.S. states um, from upstreamonline.com, trio of U.S. states uh, pitch regional clean energy hub. We've actually talked about this before. The um, <clears throat> at least the uh, the Woodside. Um, proposed hydrogen uh, project we, we talked about back in December of last year. And now they're just, they, um, these three states are rolling out different types of hydrogen generation facilities to kind of proof of concept them all and see what it, what where the real benefits are. Uh, so we've got some green hydrogen, blue hydrogen, um, and then uh, what's the other one? Okay. Blue is that where the is the, the it's blue sequestered is, blue underground, is, right? Blue is your natural gas. Um, but the um, it's it's interesting to see where they're putting them and what they're going to do with them. So the uh, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Louisiana plants are all going to be different, but they're all kind of the similar scale. And that's this is the hardest thing to figure out. Is I was trying to figure out like exactly how big each one of these is. And they give the numbers for the actual green hydrogen, the solar and or wind generated hydrogen in like megawatts. And they give the blue hydrogen in millions of cubic feet of hydrogen. I mean, it's so difficult to, so difficult to compare these numbers. So if I've done- That's wild. Yeah, it's just really, I mean, it's because it's fundamentally different, right? I mean, it's very easy to say, I've got a 550 megawatt solar farm and we're doing electrolysis to, to fractionate the hydrogen off. Right. Um, but then when you're doing blue hydrogen, blue hydrogen is done specifically, you've got um, natural gas comes in the chamber, they add steam and a catalyst flame um, to burn the natural gas and the reaction there um, will break the steam. So then you get your, you've got your, um, your hydrogen coming off and you actually get uh, carbon monoxide. The oxygen gets burned into the carbon from the LNG and you get carbon monoxide, which is not good. But, um, but that's how that blue hydrogen process works. Uh, there is no energy input for electrolysis. So there's no way, I mean, there's no correlation. So you just need to know how much energy, how much hydrogen is going to come out of it at the end. And for the green stuff, it's kind of varying. Depends on where you're, what the, the state of your electrodes are, uh, how much power you're able to put into 
whatever system. Um, and so that's why they give it in, in actual total megawatt power, as opposed to amount of hydrogen they're going oh, to I see. generate. I see. It's, it's, it's a pain in the butt. But anyway, what I, what I figured out is that the blue one is probably going to be about four times the size of, of the green. Um, uh, where was it? I had just had the number. Here we go. So it was, um, yeah, 750 million cubic feet is what they said. And mm -hmm. that conversion uh, ends up going to uh, about 2,000, just under 2,000 tons. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, well, I mean, um, I don't know what to say, man. It's, I, I gotta tell you, I'm glad to see these, these scale, the scale of these types of things happening. And, you know, it's, it's like we had the thing up in Niagara, Alabama, New York with plug power. And that was pretty new at that scale. I didn't, hadn't seen that discussion happening before that was earlier this year. Um, and now we're starting to see it kind of pop up everywhere. So it seems like there's confidence in this. Like I said, a lot, a lot of this, I mean, it was actually planned before. Like I said, we heard about the, um, the, um, the blue, um, doo -doo -doo -doo. no, the green, we heard about the green, um, in Oklahoma back in December, it's long before this whole war conversation had ever started, but there's a lot of touting now that yes, we're doing this thing. Yes, we're doing this thing because it's so right at the front of public consciousness. We want to know how we're getting away from, um, fossil fuels from a particular region because of ukraine and russia <laughs> because of because of this is, yeah. yeah yeah well i guess you got to harness that you know there's if some good can come out of this scenario it's like some mobilization and, and movement towards and political support for um these alternatives right which we already kind of have a i think a technical belief in that these these solutions are real and can help us achieve the goals we want for climate change and for the shift to uh, renewable energy sources. But we kind of recognize that the, the holdup has been political, yep. administrative. It's been trying to get people to make decisions. So if, if we can, you know, if this is a crisis that we have here and it kind of gets people in the mindset to say, yeah, let's, let's, would they believe this chance to take some chances on these types of changes, then we got to do it. So I guess everyone's going to be talking about it right now. <clears throat> Yeah, Speaking absolutely. of and it's, more guys and it's, talking and it's about the it. Same thing. So we've got we've got um, uh, MSN reporting on the uh, Denmark pledge now to build up six gigawatt of green hydrogen capacity in over, by 2024, which is right around the corner, <laughs> considering where we are. Six gigs. Um, just, just to put that in perspective, so that the Oklahoma site was supposed to be 550 megawatts, so that's 0.55 gig uh, for those don't want to do math. Um, but then an additional 40 gigawatt by 2030. Uh, currently, Denmark only produces around 0.3 gigawatts, so 300 megawatt worth of, um, worth of electrolyzers. Um, I'm concerned a little bit because these electrolyzers use or can use um, some rare mineral minerals. They're expensive. The minerals do um, degrade through the electrolysis process. You know, they, they, they're, they're not, it's not permanent. Once you build an electrolyzer, it doesn't just sit there. I mean, it does oxidize and, and, and fail over time. So those need to be replaced. Uh, it's not a cheap proposition to roll out this many in rapid succession. And I'm wondering where the manufacturing capacity for all these, because everybody wants it all of a sudden. Denmark is not the only one. The U.S. is not the only one. Everybody wants to get in on this now. Yeah. Where are the electrolyzers going to come from? 
Well, you know, and I do recall a discussion recently about how it takes this kind of movement in the industry for there to start to be innovation in the actual technology. So electrolyzers in their current form, uh, not a new technology, been around for what, a hundred years or something, right? More than, for a long yeah, time. Well, since, since we had electricity and we were playing right. with it. <laughs> so <laughs> electrolyzers have been around forever. The current technology is, <clears throat> as I understand it, at least with this last article relatively unchanged you know it's evolved a little bit of course but not not like kind of fundamentally and so just as that starts to happen as we start to see demand we'll probably start to see innovation in that space and and i know that we're starting to i i read about a couple of startups that were changing the way electrolyzers work so it could be that there's other ways to do these things right um but uh i mean obviously these these or these you know countries in this case have enough confidence to publicly make these kinds of statements and these goals and okay you know statement or goal is what it is but companies up in scandinavia they're in particular you know they're they're pretty close to the uh they're pretty close to the fray right so these guys are going yeah that's that's it like we we talk about in the u.s our electric bill for at least for hawaii they're going to jump 20 percent but the um we're only importing what eight or nine percent of our total oil consumption or whatever energy consumption from russia they're in like 25 percent range 25 30 percent and so that's much more significant amount of their portfolio right their energy portfolio I just find it, you know, amazing that people, uh, when we think about new technologies, a lot of the times the the negative kind of position is it's too expensive. It's only going to happen when the when the numbers pencil out. But that's assuming that money is the primary kind of driver of it, right? Money, of course, is a driver of it, but security, safety volatility of the value, all of these other things are drivers, right? And in, a, and in a given situation where, you know, your security and your sovereignty is at risk, <laughs> you know, they're going to find a way to make that thing pencil, right? They're like, yeah. hey, we need this, right? We, and, you know. and the adoption, I mean, when we go to move to these massive um, markets, <laughs> what is it, economies of scale, right. uh, it, it's going to get cheaper. Yes, yes. Yes, the invisible hand of the market will uh, will make it cheaper, for sure, yep. for sure. So, but it's man, there's a lot going on out there. There's, we're talking about massive moves across the, the United States. We're talking about big moves in Europe. There's another one here too. Was it UK? UK. Jay? Yep. Same. Same thing. I mean, it's, I had all these queued up right next to each other because they're pretty much all the same conversation. Uh, United Kingdom is putting a huge amount of money now, another to to um, get to another five gigawatt of green hydrogen generating capacity by 2030, uh, 240 million uh, pounds uh, set aside for the net zero fund. Uh, They're gonna be, again, buying a lot of electrolyzers. So, and they mention uh, Tidal as a intermittent generation source in here, right? Yep, Tidal, and and Tidal I don't see as so intermittent. I mean, it tends to happen every day. predictable intermittent yes i think it's, it's a lot i think that's a lot more closer to firm than your your random wind predictive mitten generator right? <laughs> you, you would think i don't know <laughs> so uh look man um you know uh i i i'm not even sure like we, we it'd be interesting to take a look at title in terms of how much of it's actually being used as a as a source of of energy these days because we certainly don't have it in hawaii and i've never read or been close to any significant scale 
every every study I've ever read and proof of concept things has had issues with mechanical problems. Right. They haven't succeeded. So it's interesting they bring that up there, right? So right now hydrogen is kind of more believable than vital in our minds anyway, as the coaster guys, right? Yeah. And then before we do wrap this up, I know that, uh, I don't know if there's more news and events you want to touch on, but the, um, uh, bear in mind, the interview with Reggie was pretty lengthy. So the, um, he does bring up the notion of fuel cell as being part of the, the future architecture of ensemble. Do you remember him saying that? So now do do you see that? I guess that, and I, it's, it's up until that Australian article we just talked about, I couldn't even kind of envision what that meant. But, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about the ability. What, what, what would that look like in an ensemble system? Do you have a sense of that? Because I don't. Okay. No, no, it's, it's actually pretty, pretty obvious. So, um, and you're going to kick yourself, <laughs> basically. Um, like everything in that grand vision, it's just a, a, a buyer or a seller, right? In little, little energy packets. And so you can have an electrolyzer out there, fractionating hydrogen, stores it. You can have a fuel cell generating it, you, you, um, the, the electrolyzer will be a consumer of energy, right? It will be buying energy when it's cheap, making the hydrogen, banking it. And you can have yeah. your fuel cell sitting there and well, there's nobody else available at, at a cheaper price. I can fire up and provide energy for X gotcha. cents per kilowatt, whatever it, whatever it happens to be. Um, kilowatt hour. Um, it's, it's, really everything becomes a, one of those little participants in the, in the, in the energy marketplace. And it can be done at home scale. I said, I don't think hydrogen at home like that. I, mean, I, I suppose somewhere in the far flung future, it may be a self-contained box, right? You would just mm-hmm. have this closed loop system where it has the water inside it will fractionate, it'll store a small amount of hydrogen and then refuel sell it. The water vapor from the, from the fuel cell comes out, gets put back into water, right? It would be this little closed loop. It would be, that yep. would be really cool. Um, I don't think we're anywhere close to that, but right. you can, but you can still have small mid scale uh, kind of uh, electrolyzers and fuel cells, just like that Honda one um, out there at a substation, right? Substation needs extra juice in, on this particular circuit, fire up the fuel cell done. So an exciting future, my friend. So yeah. this has been uh, the Solar Coaster. We are with Ragu Balor. A lot of fun learning about Ensemble, all the news and events. It looks like uh, hydrogen is kind of taking hold and this kind of energy uh, security is one of the top things on our mind these days with what's happening in Ukraine and with Russia. So uh, maybe this will help us all kind of move in the direction of renewables uh, through some of these various initiatives, uh, through, through some of these new technologies that are emerging. I got a kick out of it, man. What do you think? Any final words? Oh, I just love it. Um, like I said, I want, I, I want you, I really think you're going to end up ripping your solar system apart and <laughs> replacing it with Enphase and something else. Eventually. And then replacing it with something else. We're going to keep doing this. Happen. We're Sounds just, like just going to be yeah, <laughs> running through over and over again, but I want, I, I want to get these things in the real world and have a play so we can. Yes. Yes. We got to, we got to get, we got to get a close look at all of them. So thank you very much uh, everybody for tuning in solar coast. Thank you, Jason Verricart. Uh, have a wonderful uh, weekend ahead and aloha. Okay. Hey, folks, and welcome to the Solar Coaster. This week we have Ragu Balor.
fuck, what is this? Chief product. What the hell is this thing? Chief products officer. This is actually. This is great, right? I love it. Uh, Chief product officer, co-founder. Products. And Faith That's the thing. You want to try, start again? Hey folks, and welcome to the Solar Coaster. This week we have Raghu Balor, co-founder and chief products officer of Enphase. Uh, I've had him on the show before. Absolutely fantastic interview, and you're going to want to stay tuned for that. Of course, we talk about the world of energy uh, crisis in Ukraine, causing some real problems uh, for energy uh, consumption around the globe. But this is too slow and shitty. <laughs> okay, you want to start again? All right, folks, welcome to the Solar Coaster. This show, we're going to be meeting with Ragu Balor, fourth time on the air with us. He's the co-founder, chief product officer of Enphase Energy. If you've been looking for what to do with your money and stocks and you're thinking about energy at Enphase, this is the place to check it out. We also are talking about hydrogen across the world. Obviously, right now, Ukraine, Russia, uh, creating a lot of insecurity in the energy markets and States and co uh, countries across the world are looking for solutions and creating new mandates. Let's check it out. It's a great show ahead. 